Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We are back, baby. Welcome back to Watch Time 2021. New year, new us. Kind of the same us, though, and the same podcast, but... Yeah. But we're excited. We're excited to be back. We left you guys on a hook at the end of last year. I think we left you second last week of the year, and we were like, one more episode, last episode of 2020, and we'll be back. And, and we it were, didn't happen. We were never back. Because, A, we partied too hard at the Christmas party. <laughs> That's definitely not exactly what happened. But no. also, then there was another COVID outbreak in Sydney, and then that threw everything off. But we got it back down to zero cases again, so we've quashed it again. Sydney number yeah. one. Elliot finally convinced me. I finally sold the boat party, and people loved it. And he it was- put in months of groundwork to make it happen. Um, pulled it off and then just made sure that I had a full glass of champagne in my hand the entire day. And it was definitely worth it. It was 100% worth it. It was actually such a fun time. And for us, obviously, we work with so many creators all the time. You're a creator. It can be a bit of a solo job a lot of the time on the day-to-day. And so the opportunity to just have everyone in the same place for a day and a night socializing a big day (laughs) yeah yeah but then so much fun but then like the news i feel like the gaming related news from basically when we stopped making the podcast and now has been pretty much like pretty neutral we took a break so the whole office took two weeks off over summer which for me was kind of an interesting experience because i feel like in some ways i don't know if you feel this as well you get to the end of the year and in so many ways i was like wow i'm so excited to take three weeks off like i really wanted to take three weeks off fully relax enjoy it and then i literally get two days in and i'm like oh my god there's so many hours in the day my mind just like runs i'm really really bad i think it actually i'm bad at not having things to do yeah, yeah, I mean, I I'm also like I get a, anxious. I'm also a YouTuber who can't take breaks in December because that's when you get paid the most. But... Right, but I literally remember Elliot and I like went to get a massage one time in separate rooms, but at the same time. And Elliot came out at the end of it, and he was just like, "That was literally the worst experience of my life." Oh, that I was just like six there. years ago, right? He was like, like, "I lay there and had to be left yeah. alone with my thoughts for an hour." It was yeah, awful. I go and I need like proactive things to do, or at least yeah. a Twitter feed to browse. Literally, like I, I actually find it really difficult being on social media and trying to take a significant break because I go on Twitter, and Twitter is just. I love it, but it's also so toxic and you're just filled with people doing all the most amazing things and it makes you feel inadequate. And I'm like three days into my holiday and I'm like, I do not deserve to take any time off. I was going to say, because you also didn't take a holiday because three days into the holiday, you were messaging everyone about brand deals and (laughs) other stuff that you were trying to organize. So it didn't really happen that way. It didn't really happen, but I don't know. I feel like... And then you did an AFR article... Oh, yeah. The financial review article. And I got you a surprise for episode one, which is a framed version of the article, which if you're listening to the digital, if you're listening to the audio version, you can't hear anything. Elliot's just pulled out a frame of 
the front cover that I was on. Yeah, because it was on the front oh. page. Oh, Elliot, that's actually so sweet. Yeah, it's Thank pretty you. cool. Um, also, and this isn't me trying. Elliot's to like... also on the front page. Oh. For those of you that can't see. Oh, there's home. a small. It's a yeah, it's a small photo. I don't look as good on a front page. Side note: framing is bloody expensive. Dude, framing is so expensive. Framing is bloody. I was expecting a quote of like, yeah, I chucked that in a little frame for like twenty bucks. bucks. Yeah, and then I got the quote and I was like, oh. Oh, dude, well, thank you. Obviously, it was me in the photo, but, but for me, it's more about like the whole team. And I think it's just super, super cool to see mainstream recognition of stuff that's happening in gaming because obviously like gaming in the whole world is um, kind of a misunderstood industry, I think. And like when you're in it or you're part of the culture or you understand it, it's obviously so exciting and you understand how massive it is and influential it is and mm. exciting and it's growing fast. But for a lot of people and a lot of traditional industries, it doesn't really have that recognition yet. And yeah. so for me, anytime I see like gaming or creators or people doing cool stuff, getting mainstream recognition, it's just so exciting because I feel like it's just an indicator of the direction that everything's moving in. That was the big news thing that happened in gaming, I guess, over uh, for us over the past yeah. month or two. But then there was nothing. And then all of a sudden, the internet blew up last week. The internet blew up last week. You guys already know what we're Exploded. talking about. You already know. It would say, and some this, would say it blew up and, and some everyone's going say, to the moon. And you know what? Some <laughs> would say that this really toes the line between what we would normally cover on Watch Time. But I would say that the word gaming is in game, at least. This and also it was so social media. Yeah, true. You're right. It's also this so social media driven. Which is the price of GameStop getting completely blown up, sent to ridiculous numbers. And now I would say it's probably easing off a bit. But it was the craziest one or two weeks of a journey. So let's just backtrack on this story for a second. Last Monday was the first time that I heard about this. Elliot sent me an article that was from some like underground gaming news website. It was niche, okay? It was super niche. And it was like, oh, look at this little group of like Redditors kind of gaming the stock price on GameStop. GameStop obviously being basically like the blockbuster of games. It is a physical, um, like a physical franchise of stores and to walk, walk into and buy like physical copies of games, which like obviously everyone here knows is not something that is a 2021 thing to do. So funny because I was listening to uh, the Daily podcast this morning and yeah. literally they described it when they were describing it. They're like, and basically it's this shop, which can you believe it? You used to be able to walk into and purchase physical copies of get which is like I'm like obviously you and I know you can still do that but it's it's very telling for everyone like they still exist obviously these stores still exist they're generally in like malls and shopping centers they're in Australia as well mm. do you know what it's so funny because actually over the holidays I had to go into a GameStop I was with Ilsa our sister who's also a YouTuber we went into GameStop because the two other stores we went to didn't have them in stock GameStop had it in stock and it was selling it for i'm not kidding twice the retail price of the other stores and Don't i make actually those margins, baby. had a really poor shopping experience i was like do you guys like price match or anything like just right. fyi whatever you do don't say anything bad about gamestop on the internet right now you will be destroyed <laughs> 
Anyway, she had a great shopping experience at GameStop. It was amazing. She loved it. <laughs> but to get us back on track with the story, I mean, you probably don't even need to hear it at this stage. Long story short, a bunch of Redditors uh, realized that Wall Street had basically made a bunch of bets against GameStop saying that the price would go down. They basically said, yo, f*** those guys. And they made the price go up. Yeah. And I think it was, I think actually a year, so I didn't realize a year ago, GameStop was only trading for like four or five dollars, I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure. And then a month ago, it was trading for about $20. And then in the space of a week, they shot it from $20 all the way up to I think it ended at four hundred and sixty dollars and twenty cents I want to say and that pick. increase is really not an indicator that the value of the company has increased that much it was really like a David and Goliath story of like a stick it to the man we can sort of the power of the people do this and it basically started a little micro trend last week of people um getting on what they're calling like basically meme stocks. So exactly companies like GameStop or mm. Nokia was another example of one. Yeah, yeah, and AMC. Uh, I feel like none of those other ones really took off quite as much. And then you're seeing other stuff this week that's like, oh, the silver squeeze and all these new ones that are happening. And I think uh, Dogecoin as well went Dude. from like five cents to 50 cents. A couple of our friends got on that one. It's kind of scary when you start seeing like things do it. Cause you're like, oh my God, if like nothing makes sense anymore then like what does? Yeah. But I mean, th this one I think is, is slightly more innocent and I think hopefully slightly more long-term. But I think the really interesting thing is going to be the outcome. What's the outcome gonna be? Predict the future -y. Okay. The problem is when you say what I'm about to say, you get a lot of backlash. A lot of people are going to lose a lot of money at the end of the day. <laughs> but who's it going to be? Is it going to be these the Redditors at home or is it going to be Wall Street? Wall Street's already lost a lot of money. Like okay. like that they've <laughs> lost like they've lost billions in shorts on GameStop yeah. in the in the last week. But their losses are now kind of like okay, they've lost the money. And sure, you can people keep being like, oh no, there's like a couple of short positions left. But no vast majority of the money that has already been lost is Wall Street. So the vast amount of money that is now going to be lost is the people that bought the stock. Because right. don't get me wrong, I would say the people who have bought into it are 80-20. I reckon 80% of the people are like, want a quick buck. And I think 20% of the people who bought it are like, nah, this is just like a stick it to the man. We're just going to hold it. And this is like a big double middle finger Hold the line. this is like a double middle finger to wall street being like we can do whatever we want with the stock price yeah and the thing is 20 percent of people when they lose a bunch of money they're probably not going to care right so much respect to him that he's done this but the guy who started the whole trend and bought in with that 50 grand of stock initially that then peaked at being worth about 50 million dollars what's his reddit name again uh deep value um and he's he's still holding like the price is now clearly on a decline Dude. very very unlikely to go back up to where it was elliot and i were saying the guy that started this deep effing value or whatever his name is yeah it's like he's really got two options he's either gotta be he's the leader of this army yeah like, he is the leader if he, he is, bails out it he's all the goes. man he's the one that really has to like you know, but also keep the people in line. But also, I got to say, if I was him and I had made $50 million off this thing in like yeah. a week, you can bet your ass I'm deleting my Reddit account. I'm cashing out. 
and you'll never see me again. Like, I feel like... You'll it, never see me again. And you know what? I think I'm there's gone. so many people <laughs> on the internet who would be like, nah, man, I wouldn't do that. I'd stick in it for the meme. Mm-hmm. But those people have not had $50 million placed in front of them. No. And, like, the trade-off between that and a meme. And I get... I, I think this... <laughs> I think... Sure, I think there's a very small subset that might stick with it. But, man, he's posting daily updates on Reddit. And I looked at his account today. Since his last post, which I think it was only 12 hours ago... He had lost fifteen million dollars off the value of his portfolio. It hurts. But it he's hurts. he's he still ha- he hasn't sold <laughs> one chair. I'm so impressed. If I like, was him, I don't think my self control could allow me to if, do that. If I was him, I would maybe just like subtly shift off like ten million. Yeah. You know, just be like, look, okay, I mean, I want to stick with the vast majority of it, but man, just let me put ten mil on the bank. You know, let me be set up for life. It really is the power of the internet, though. And it's unbelievable how, like, in a matter of 24 hours, my entire Twitter feed just transformed into everyone suddenly like a finance bro. You know what I mean? Like, everyone's into this. Everyone's talking about it. And just the the mainstream media getting behind it as well. There is that saying, though, when your Uber driver starts talking about something, it's a bubble. And when my Uber driver started being like, have you heard of all this GameStop stuff going on? <laughs> I was like, yep, okay, this is definitely about the peak the price is going to go. Like, No hate to the Uber drivers. No hate to the Uber drivers, no. But it's like, it's the same thing. It's like when your grandma starts talking about Bitcoin, it's probably a bubble. And that's what happened right. in the first Bitcoin bubble. Anyway, to go back to that analogy I was saying though, 80% of people are in it for the money. 20% of people are in it to stick it to Wall Street. Honestly, it could be more like 90, 10 even. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, sure, the, the 10, 20%, they're not going to care as much when they lose because they're like, no, nah, that was a great journey we went on. But there's 80% of people in there who are going to lose a bit. And I think the thing that scared me was, uh, and I, I didn't even think about this, it was someone was talking about this morning, and it was like people aren't only just, you know, putting in a couple hundred dollars into the stock a lot of the time people have now gone out there they've taken out loans like they've, yeah, they've, they've put scary. off their mortgage they've done crazy stuff to buy into it and at the end and the, just it's a simple fact of the way that stock trading works which is that everyone can't just boost the price up to $400 and now just suddenly just exit at $400 no that physically cannot work because at the end of the day people need to be buying those shares that people are selling for that totally. amount. So inevitably, someone's going to be left holding this now $40 billion bag, which is the value of that the company's ballooned to, yeah. up from like $1 billion that it was before, a few hundred million it was. Yeah. So there is suddenly $39 billion there that didn't exist before. Someone, and don't get me wrong, they, they, they messed up the shorts. They messed up the shorts that Wall Street had. That's done. But there's still $39 billion there that... And when we talk about getting the bag, Ugh. that's not the bag you want. This is no, you bag don't. You, you don't want that bag. This you don't is want to not be, that bag. You don't want to be left holding that bag. No, you want no. to get the bag before you're left holding that bag. I mean, I think you also like can't look at this in a vacuum. Like you have to kind of look at it in the wider circumstance of where the world is right now. And obviously, like we're still in the depths of COVID. Definitely in the US, so many people have lost their jobs. So many more people have time at home. A lot more people have time on their hands. People are cash strapped. And I think people 
uh, looking at the internet and seeing people be able to create these opportunities for themselves. Everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Everyone wants to be doing their own thing and no one wants to be working for the man. And I think that's why you see these little like flurries of activity, whether it be this or it be like the Bitcoin sort of trend that was happening literally two weeks ago. And people get this sense of FOMO. They get this feeling of like, yeah. I don't want to miss the bus. And I bought $500 worth of Bitcoin. And yeah. So I'll but like, see you on the moon. <laughs> I, I and, but I hate I hate being the like I hate being the the boring guy, right? Dude. Like I want to be the guy who's like diamond hands, diamond hands to the moon, to the moon, never sell, never sell diamond hands. But then I'm like, oh, but man, like everyone who's saying diamond hands never sell, sure they're holding. There are a lot of people who are also selling and driving the price yeah. down. Yeah. And like inevitably, and they're not the ones that are talking about it on Reddit. No. Oh my god. <laughs> you know what it was? There is like a bit of a history of like stocks that have gotten boosted before, and hedge funds lose out in the short term. But then when it gets to this point where they've actually lost all their short positions, this is where they start coming in and actually profiting off it going down. So I don't know. I'm very curious to see what's going to happen. It's a crazy world out there. It is bloody crazy. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens. But for our first episode back, guys, we thought it was fitting to start 2021 with some of our own predictions for the year ahead both from Elliot's perspective as a creator, from my perspective as more like on the business side of the industry and really think about like what happened in 2020 and what are we gonna see more of in 2021? Should we place some bets on this episode? I'll place a bet, but yeah. I feel like it's hard to place concrete bets because it, it, like what can happen? There's like a million paths that I'm rolling that my things eye, could guys. go down. Classic um, Elliot on watch time, am I right? I'll Never wants it. to take a bet. I'll take a bet. <laughs> um, so what I'm going to say is that I think we're really going to go into a year of variety gaming. I don't think that I I don't think there's going to be a giant new emergent title that's going to take over the world like Minecraft did or like Fortnite did. I think it's really going to start going into variety. Mm -hmm. I think there'll still be some great titles that will come out this year because I think there's probably been so much in development that got slightly held back by the pandemic. Mm. But I think they're mostly going to be like once off you know, two, three weeks to a month kind of like lifetime and then they'll taper off again. But I think that, I, and I actually got to delve um, really deeply into this topic with some of Mr. Beast's team last week, which was talking about how creators are going to fit into that. Because obviously a lot of the time, if you're a YouTuber, um, you'll kind of build your channel around a certain title and then that becomes the kind of audience that you're really building on. So, you know, like me me and Lockie with Fortnite. Like we yeah. make Fortnite videos. We are Fortnite YouTubers. 98% of people who watch our videos are interested in Fortnite. And because I know we have so many people that watch the podcast or listen to the podcast and want to be creators, that's in the past been such a strength for creators is being able to carve out a little niche for yourself, being able to get good, get a reputation at doing really good content on one specific thing and having something that people can come back to every day. Yeah. In the past, that's absolutely been a strategy for all of those big Fortnite channels. If you look back into their blow up period, they were not taking a risk doing anything else except sticking when they were on a good thing. Yeah, when you're building a channel like that, 
the interest, the audience's interest in your content is sure, it's definitely still about your personality and the unique flair you bring to the game. But it is also very centralized on that game. Mm -hmm. Like they are interested in Fortnite. They're interested in seeing the dumb things you can do in Fortnite. They're interested in seeing high kill gameplay in Fortnite. They want to see the new updates. Yeah, exactly. It's all very much as much as it's about you. It's also very much about the game. For sure. But when you go into these variety phases that you really don't have that structure anymore. And sure, there are little titles that'll pop up that people get interested in in the short term. But I think really what you're going to see start becoming bigger and bigger. And I think you already have seen, if you look at the trend of the two big games that have really blown up in content over the past six months. Mm -hmm. And they have been Fall Guys and Among Us. And what those two games, especially Among Us, but also Fall Guys had in common, is it was no longer as much about the game that you're playing. And it's much more about the interactions between creators playing it. So Fortnite content, by and large, is solo. We kind mm-hmm. of like play the game. Maybe we're playing with someone occasionally, but it's very much about solo commentary and just showing the gameplay. Yeah. But I think when you go into these variety phases, it's going to be so much more about uh, kind of the interactions between different YouTubers. So it's the game almost Back becomes... Back on the group grind. Yeah, the game almost almost becomes irrelevant. The game's just kind of like the, the platform that you're building the content on. Totally. But it's not the content itself. So It's the sandbox you're playing in. Yeah, literally. So everything from like Among Us servers, where it's all about that kind of like everyone accusing each other and shouting each other, Fall Guys, the people are grabbing each other and laughing at them when they fail, to, you know, Minecraft group servers, to all that kind of thing, mm. where it it is going to become, I think, so much more about creators interacting with other creators, which ultimately is great because it's effectively infinite content because the number of ways people can interact with each other is limitless. But that's how a lot of uh, YouTube gaming started. It was it was like a Markiplier playing Gary's Mod prop hunt and, um, and mm. uh, the terrorist town, I forget what it was called. Do you think in some ways that kind of content is also more challenging though because you haven't got the... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary crutch of a game you can't just rely on a new update to automatically give you a new video it's like if Fortnite's dropping a new update on a tuesday you know what you're dropping on a wednesday for a video whereas this it's like it relies on personality it relies a lot more on the creativity of people yes and no i actually think though especially like sure when a game first comes out like Fortnite, there's infinite video ideas and it's so nice to be able to be like don't need to rely on anyone i can literally sit down there's 50 billion things i can do and yeah. i can just make a video on one of these lists of 40 ideas yeah when you're at a stage of Fortnite, like it is right now though you're like oh my god every video has been done mm-hmm. every video there is almost i reckon maybe once a month a single Fortnite youtuber out of the thousands will come up with a video idea where people are like oh actually that's that's cool yeah it used to be every day so, but but the thing is, when you go into... Because people have just exhausted everything that's been done. Yeah, so it's really hard now when you're a Fortnite YouTuber, you're sitting there like, what do I record? What do I record? I don't have any ideas. And when you're solo, you very much need an idea that you're focusing your content on. Yeah. But when you're doing group stuff, 
you don't need ideas because you don't really need to theme your recordings as much. The content, don't get me wrong, you totally can and it can still be really, really valuable to do that. And I think um, we've talked before about how people do that in games like Among Us with, you know, different mods and themes and you can only say one word. But a lot of the time, the actual meat of the content really just generates itself True. because you don't have to think about how you're going to fill up the video and what scenes you're going to have because you just play the game and inevitably through that banter that you're going to have with other people funny stuff just happens yeah so you don't so there is the harder part in the sense that you do need to like coordinate a group and find a good group that is good at being entertaining but also so much of that content is just organic like you don't have to overthink what you're going to do that day it's like i know with these guys when i jump into a discord call and we play whatever we play funny stuff's going to happen. Everyone knows how to make something entertaining. Interesting. Interesting. I like that as a prediction. So do you feel like you're going to see like groups come back more? Very much. I feel like you already are seeing that yeah. as well. I mean, that Minecraft. Minecraft gang. SMP. Uh, Crazy. The kind of, the groups that have built up around Among Us. People don't seem to be as like rigid in groups these days as they used to be. Very mm -hmm. much used to be like, oh no, 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 that is the group. They always play together. That's four people. And if a fifth person came in, it would be like a ooh, interesting ooh, thing. Yeah. People are definitely, they have people they're comfortable with, but yeah. I, I think it'll be a bit more casual. Okay, cool. All right, you want to hear my first prediction? Hit me. My first prediction is this year we are going to see a lot more creators coming out with their own brands or investing themselves into other brands than we ever have before. Mm. I think in the past, a big trend of the way that you've seen influencers and creators develop is that they start working with big brands. And a couple years ago, I feel like Ninja really like evangelized that space or took it to a new level in terms of the kind of brands he was working with. He had his Red Bull partnership. He had his Uber Eats partnership. You know, creators have been signing to big esports orgs, that sort of thing. And, and the kind of brand that you're partnering with has really been like a, like a stamp of where you kind of stand mm. in the standards of creators. It's like, oh, if you're working with like a McDonald's or a Coke or whatever, like a AAA brand, that really is a status symbol of the kind of creator that you're becoming. But I really think this year, we're going to see the top creators, not necessarily working with top brands, but literally coming out with their own brands. And I think we've started to see a little bit of that, like Mr. Beast coming out with Beast Burger at the end of last year, which is super, super cool. These creators are getting to a point where they don't need the sponsorship of other big brands. Their brands are as big as those in terms of reach themselves. So now it's about instead of just being paid like cash for comment, like I'm going to promote this brand, it'll still happen all the time, I think. It'll be like, no, how can I, instead of just taking like part of the marketing budget for that brand, how can I actually own it? I mean, I do think there'll be, like you said, top creators doing that. I think it is, I think the the, the bread and butter and like the real meat of for, for most creators in terms of that additional monetization it is hard to get away from sponsored stuff Absolutely. when your voice yeah, is like yeah, yeah. smaller. But obviously for people like Mr. Not everyone can do a Mr. Beast and be like, hey, I am going to suddenly partner with a whole bunch of restaurants and launch a national burger chain. Yeah. Like if I do that, I might, you know, sell a couple, but it's not going to be like a phenomenon like it was with him. But at the same time, you're right. For those creators that can do that, I that think that's what they're going to be doing. So I think you'll value. see it with Dobrik as well. Like, I'm pretty sure Dobrik's coming out with his pizza company soon. He's coming oh, really? out with his Dobrik. Oh, that's the thing. Yeah. 
Like, is it like physical storefront or is it? I believe it's going to be a physical storefront. Yeah, in LA. Wild. Um, and then he's obviously coming out with his dispo app as well. And I think, and and he did his perfume last year. Mr. Beast did his finger on the app thing. That's really the trend of where things are going to go. Yeah. With that, and obviously I'm thinking about this all the time because I work in digital talent management, the good management companies are really going to have to be quickly adapting what they're able to do for the creators that they represent. What used to be the skills of a great manager, which might be, you know, having a really deep, wide pool of relationships, being able to negotiate deals in a, you know, really confident, strong manner, being able to be able to provide those access to opportunities an introduction to relationships for their talent, I think that is going to transform as well. And as the top creators start to want to do their own brands, management are going to have to skill up very quickly in terms of their understanding around IP and creating companies and investing in other companies and almost, I think, in many ways, becoming little venture capital firms in and of themselves because a lot of startup companies recognize the importance and the impact that having an influencer attached to them can have and how it's just an automatic little marketing and distribution channel. But a lot of them can't afford it. So if you can get an influencer actually invested and involved and long-term interested in how that company is going to perform, then that's a huge strength. But obviously management has a huge role to play there Hmm. in terms of vetting those opportunities, making sure they're negotiated right and getting the good outcome for the talent. Um, And I think that's where we're going to see a massive trend in management as well. And starting so many of these companies that people start, man, it's a lot of work. Like I was literally, I was it's thinking, crazy. It's crazy. It, but it's like, it's actually beyond comprehension. Up until the last year or two, almost anything that you needed a manager to do could effectively be done by one person. It'll be like, mm-hmm. hey, need a brand deal. That brand manager co- coordinates with the brand, gets the offer through, counters, gets the details, sends to the talent, follows it through, it's done. But I was thinking about the logistics of something like the Mr. Beast burger chain thing. And that's not even his own product per se. That's literally just him. Ghost Kitchen. Yeah, it's Ghost Kitchen. It's him just white labeling the products of a bunch of restaurants around the country. Mm -hmm. But the workload required to go to that many restaurants, quality control what they're going to do. Uh, send them all the like packaging, make sure that the supplies there, like coordinate yeah. with Uber to have all these. It's just insane. Like it's yeah. actually completely wild how much work that would have taken to coordinate with the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of restaurants they did. Oh yeah. Yeah, you think about the size of teams that used to be kind of behind like a YouTuber or a group of YouTubers. Could have just been one person. These days it's like you have brand specialists, you have merch specialists, you have so much going on Mm -hmm. because like you say more and more the really really big creators and it didn't used to be this way but now you have these biggest creators on the platform that are people like Mr. Beast where if they speak the internet as a whole listens Listens. like if Beast were to tweet buy Dogecoin price will probably double literally billions of dollars of impact yeah. Um, I mean, like we were even talking this morning and this obviously isn't an influencer as much, but it's the same concept, how the Daily Podcast put out their podcast basically being like, hey, you know, like GME, like it's great. But at the end of the day, the price will go down and someone is going to be left stranded. And it wiped $20 billion off the stock market in this in the like couple of hours that insane. followed that podcast coming out. It's insane. Like if you can release a podcast and 
change tw like twenty billion dollars on an yeah. individual stock. That is fucking insane. Yeah, it's completely wild. The reverse yeah. is like when Elon tweets, "Oh yeah, like GME to the moon." Bang goes up like another two hundred dollars. I I really think that's a prediction in and of itself. Is I think you know people used to think influencers are kids on YouTube promoting makeup products or games. I think there's going to be a whole new trend of, I don't even know whether to call them influencers or like thought leaders, but basically people that have massive online social followings that truly are able to manipulate the market. And I think of people like Elon and like a whole bunch of people on Twitter, I think, that truly have dedicated audiences. Oh, yeah. Dave Portnoy, like I think he is an influencer, yeah. undoubtedly. He absolutely has the ability to manipulate the market. Which I really wonder, are they gonna have to put something in to regulate that? Because you think about that, like you play that out logically. And sure, the vast majority of influencers do not do this and they wouldn't even think about doing this. But also, if you recognize that you're one of those people who has that impact, you literally yeah. could be, and, and once I think Mr. Beast is actually the furthest person that would do this. He could literally buy a certain stock in the morning, an hour later tweet, wow, this stock looks pretty damn sick. You don't think Dave Portnoy is doing that? He's doing that with pen stocks all the time. You reckon he does that? I think he knows exactly what he's doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I guess maybe I give people too much goodwill. But there's never been individuals before that have that power. And there are laws in place that say, like, a bunch of hedge funds can't get together and mutually agree to, like, pump the price and then dump it right after. I don't think laws have ever had to consider where we are today. The power of an individual Where person. an individual can effectively, yeah, manipulate markets that effectively. Okay. Is that our sum up of our predictions for 2021? So far. So far. More to come. What we are doing to finish off our first episode of Watch Time, and we're going to be doing this every week, is we're going to finish with a couple questions that have been submitted via y'all. Which you can do on Instagram. All right, first question Grace is going to answer, and it is, what would you change about the gaming industry in Australia? Oh, okay. What I would change about the gaming industry in Australia? I think... The gaming industry in Australia has a lot of strengths from a creator perspective. I think we really punch above our weight in Australia. I think people, I don't know why that is. I think it's like people love the accent. The accent, mate. Um, it's definitely not due to our great internet situation. But what I would change, I think, is um, the way that marketing budgets are distributed. This is something that I think sounds super boring, but might be interesting for those of you that care about more of the industry side of the market. This is something that I think inevitably will change because it has to. But basically, a lot of the work we do is obviously working with brands. A lot of the brands that we work with are now global brands. So say, for example, we're working um, with a fictitious brand that we're not working with. I'll call it Nike, for example. Nike wants to work with Elliot because he is an athlete and a gamer and a new audience for him. Definitely an athlete. <laughs> um, Nike is obviously a global brand, but they will also have an Australian office. Sometimes because we're based in Australia, the Australian office will want to work with us, but then realize that most of Elliot's audience is actually in the US. But for the US, they say, look, he's based in Australia, so we can't work with him. If you're an Australian agency, most of your uh, like 
performance metrics that basically where the company says how well you did is based on how the product performs in Australia. Yes. But the way that uh, like internationally they divvy up the budget, say that Nike spends a billion dollars a year, they might give 500 million of that to America, 300 million to Europe, another blah, 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 and they give 10 million to Australia. So the Australian office, A, doesn't, necessarily always have the money to kind of work with the really really big giant creators because even though their audience is largely in america that has that huge budget they're only really looking at that tiny little eight percent australian audience so they don't care about the bigger picture it's it's a little frustrating and i think it obviously doesn't make sense because the benefit for the brand is going to happen um internationally regardless and it's more like the australian obvious office just doesn't have the budget or or interest to care about it really so that's that's something that we deal with actually on a on an everyday basis. I think that actually is slowly improving. Like I remember a couple of years Absolutely, ago. Absolutely. Oh yeah. my god! Literally, when we first started Click, any Australian brand you'd talk to, it was like roadblock, roadblock, roadblock. And I think they're finally yeah. finding ways where okay, the Australian agency, while they might not have the budget, they can refer it to the American one, and they can do it. And they've now got things they can incorporate Australian creators' performance globally and it's getting it's better it's a, like mar- the, the problem with marketing is marketing has been done the same way for the last 50 60 years and the vast majority of it was literally like oh we're going to sign off on this tv ad and we're going to put five million dollars behind it and it's going to appear on tv for the next two months working with creators is harder because they're less predictable sometimes the outcome is less totally certain but also the benefits if you do something right with them are absolutely massive Mm -hmm. so i think companies are slowly kind of realizing that that's definitely got so many advantages to it and they're trying to figure out the right way to work but also it is a slow ship to turn yeah and they'll get there take a long time to turn i'm sure they'll get there eventually okay my question for you elliot which was submitted is what is click management going to be doing this year to stay fresh more new exciting things i feel like it's like we've uh not not that we've like totally not not that we've like you know absolutely done everything we could ever do in the area of like you know managing youtubers which i think you know we've obviously done a really really good job of up till now but i think everyone's really really excited to like build out more extra things that could a be totally like nothing to do with managing youtubers and uh and doing brand deals like just completely separate projects whatever they might be um whether that's us making our own content or um anything else but then i think also finding more areas of that youtube ecosystem to do what we were talking about before which was finding ways to actually like work with youtubers like to basically get our channels find find yeah. things we can do to actually help them directly to build their own businesses and actually partner with them on it we can't tell you all the trade secrets exactly. right exactly i'm now. trying to but navigate I would my way around think about the predictions that we made for the industry and our plans probably align a little bit with our predictions for the industry. hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
industry. So we've also partnered with Acast for this year. So you may hear a couple more ads on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here for episode one, Watch Time. We're excited to be back. Thanks for watching the episode, guys. We hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.